And welcome everyone, we are here. We're ready to go, how about you? I'm ready to go, because I like the series that we're in, The Life of David, and how we're looking at, you know, many of the instances of David's life, they can parallel our lives as well, and uh, we can learn from him. Well, I love studying the Old Testament stories, and sometimes their story is our story, and we can benefit. Sometimes they did it wrong, we learn, sometimes they did it right, and we learn from that too. We get a good principle today that I think uh, many of us can identify with. What do you do when you've been done wrong? Have you ever been done wrong? <laughs> what do you do? I know what you've done. What should you do? Let's see how to handle that today when you've been done wrong. Okay, so we look at life, right? And we know that life can dish out a lot of pain. You don't have to be in this world too long before you experience rejection, heartache, loss, loneliness, you name it. And as much as any of these can hurt the heart of an individual, there's another experience that can also hurt and maybe the reason this one hurts so much is because it didn't have to happen. You know, when something bad happens that didn't have to happen, that makes it even worse than what it should be because it didn't have to happen. And that's our theme today, when you've done wrong. The wrong that was done to David, it didn't have to happen. As a matter of fact, it shouldn't have happened. So we're going to learn today from him how to handle it the right way. Let me ask you, for the believer, should revenge be a part of one's life? Should revenge be a part of one's life? Last time we were together, we noted that the bottom dropped out of David's life. We found him in a cave surrounded by an inconsiderate father, ridiculing brothers, and 400 malcontents. What a group. <laughs> 400 malcontents. King Saul is on the hunt for David because he was a jealous man. He didn't have a strong relationship with God, if any at all. And certainly, David was undeserving of this treatment. So we find him in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Saul is seeking David tirelessly. He's a jealous guy, and he wants him out. So in verse 14, 1 Samuel 23, David stayed in the wilderness and the strongholds and remained in the hill country and the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him, what? Every day. Every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. Question. Why does God allow this kind of treatment in the lives of his people? Why is God allowing David to receive this unjust treatment? You know why? Because life is a schoolhouse of learning. That's why. 
David is going to be promoted to a very high office, the king of Israel. He's not ready. He needs to learn some things. And that's what God is doing. Maybe our lives are like that too. Maybe God allows things to happen in our lives because we need to learn some things. Maybe there's a promotion that waits down the road, but we're not ready. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, remember David's best friend, right? He pledged allegiance to him. Then we got these people called the Ziphites. And you know what they did? They ratted out David, and they told Saul where he was hiding. Now, I want you to see the blindness of religion. In verse 21, Saul said to the Ziphites who ratted out David, Oh, may you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Now, wait a minute. Saul has murder in his heart, and he thinks God is with him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? People known as terrorists, they're very religious, but they have murder in their heart, thinking God is with them. You cannot have murder in your heart and think God is with you. That's why Jesus said, listen, maybe you haven't killed anyone, but if you think it, you've sinned. Because God is not with you. You can't have jealousy in your heart, envy or greed, and think that God is with you. That's how blind religion is. So Saul went after David. And in verse 26, Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David, he was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry! Come! For the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So thank goodness Saul returned from pursuing David, and he went to meet the Philistines. And therefore, they call the place the Rock of Escape. Isn't it something how this distraction came up where Saul had to leave chasing David and go fight the Philistines? Man, sometimes God does wait till the last minute, doesn't he? David's about to get caught. Then he made a way of escape. So in verse 29, David went up from there and he stayed in the strongholds of Njeti. You know what Njeti means, or Ngeti, as some might say? Fountain of a kid. Kid meaning a goat. Fountain of a goat. Why'd they call it that? Because it was a good place to hide. It consisted of rocks and caves and provided water, lush vegetation, and a natural lookout against oncoming enemies. So it was like this high, 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 high hill with rocks and vegetation and water. And the goats liked it up there. And it's a good place for David and his men to hide out. So here's David, safe, secure. He's got plenty of water. And then the temptation of vengeance. Oh, because you know how vengeance shows up first in a temptation. And we jump to the next chapter. 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, 
David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul took, what? 3,000 chosen men. He's got 3,000 soldiers hanging out with him. David's got 400. And they're not even soldiers yet. Saul's got 3,000. You think that's a little overkill? Jealous people usually are guilty of overkill. Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel, and he went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way, where there was a cave. What is a sheepfold? Well, a sheepfold is a type of a corral, probably made of rocks in this instance. And the shepherd would herd the sheep or the goats into the corral, and they would stay there for safekeeping at night. And he would lay across the front. So they got this empty sheepfold, and there was a cave there. Now, I'm just going to read the scriptures. Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Okay. The Bible in basic English says, Saul went in for a private purpose. Oh, that's a little better. He went in for a private purpose. Uh Uh-oh, now watch this. David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. (laughs) Saul is not just in any cave. Saul goes into a cave to go to the bathroom, and David and his men, they're in that cave. They're a little ways in. And now we have in verse 4, the strength of temptation. Oh, David's men said to him, Now is the time when the Lord says to you, I will give up your hater into your hands to do with him whatever seems good to you. Now remember, these men are in training, but they're not there yet. I know. They're not men of principle as of yet. And here comes religiosity again. They're saying, God has brought Saul into the cave so you can do what you want with him. They're bringing God into the picture. See, the carnal mind will always be ready to strike back when one's been done wrong. That's like, boom, the initial reaction. I've been done wrong. The next thing I do, I'm going to get you. That's the carnal mind. I call that justified vengeance. Justified in your own mind, that is. Justified vengeance means I've been done wrong and it's okay to do you wrong, to get even. And notice how easy it is to say that God is in it. David's men, they have no problem. They say, listen, now is the time when the Lord says to you, I'll give this hater into your hand. How do they know? How do they know God said that? Is he talking to them? I don't think so. Is God really in some of the things that we say he is? You know, I often hear Christians say, well, God said this, God did that. I I often question, did he? Really? I've had people that were married, and one of them say to me, God brought this other person into my life. I'm like, no, he didn't. You're married. He's not going to bring somebody else into your life. Oh, no, he did. Yeah, he did. Because I don't like the one I've got. God brought me a new one. I'm like, no, no, he didn't. Don't blame God for your carnality. And there are so many things that we do, and we say, God is in it. We have to be so careful. 
He's probably not in half the things we say that he is, or maybe even most of them. So all we're doing is supporting our idea by adding God to the mix. So be careful. Oh, yes, be very careful of when you bring, when you say that God is in it. So when things don't go our way, huh, then we blame him. Blaming God for our negative choices is like borrowing someone's car and then blaming them because we cracked it up. Well, it was your car. You shouldn't have let me drive it. I wouldn't have cracked it up. You know, there was there was a time a few years ago, the Orlando shooter, a guy in Orlando shot some people, and the father blamed the nightclub for not having enough security. He said, it's not my son's fault. They should have had more security, and it wouldn't have happened. No. We're living in a day and age when people don't take responsibility for their actions. It's all over the place. They don't. So anyway, in verse 4, then David, getting up, David must have been really close. He took the skirt of Saul's robe in his hand. I'm like, woof. He was really close, wasn't he? And he cut off the end of it without his knowledge. So David sneaks up on Saul. He cuts off the corner of his robe. And Saul doesn't even know what's going on. Must have been reading. Now, David wasn't perfect, but he does offer us some wisdom for our own lives. Especially the principle of how to handle wrongs that have been done to us. Because you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't give into the dictates of his men. He doesn't. There's a fellow named C.T. Studd, famous missionary. And he said, Had I cared for the comments of people, I should have never been a missionary. What's he saying? There's always those that'll talk you out of doing something or talk you into doing something. And you have to learn not to listen, not to succumb to them. Don't let the comments of people drive you through life, okay? Be a thinker. Think with God. Think with his word. And don't think with the carnal minds of other people. Now, the closer you walk with God, the greater the conviction, right? Even in little things. David's walking with God. And we're going to see how convicted. That's why he wouldn't kill Saul. And by the way, this is how you can measure your walk with God. Conviction is strong when you're close to God. Okay? Before, you could justify helping yourself to the company's supplies. Now, a paper clip carries the weight of an anchor. Right? What am I saying? Before you walk with God, you help yourself to things that are not yours. Justifying it. But once you walk with God very closely, no, there's nothing you want. There's nothing you take. Conviction is strong. So, as you grow closer to God, your character, I like this, I wrote this, your character means more than your desires. As you grow closer to God, your character means more than your desires. That's pretty good, I think, (laughs) if I do say so myself. So, in verse 6, David didn't respect the man, Saul, but he did respect the office of king. And he said to his men, 
Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. See how David's walking with God? Far be it from me because of the Lord, he said. He says, hey man, I'm close with God. I'm not going to take this guy's life. God put him there, and God's going to have to remove him. It's not up to me. You know, we see something similar with uh, Michael the archangel and Satan. Remember when they disputed over Moses' body in Jude 9? And Michael the archangel, he said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Why did he say that? Because Satan was a higher office than Michael. Michael had to respect the office. Even though Satan was a bad dude, it was the office that he respected. So we said, listen, you're above me, because you were the anointed cherub, but the Lord is above you, so the Lord rebuke you. He didn't take matters into his own hands. Boy, don't we need more of that today? We don't see that today. We see people oh, disregarding those that have a higher office over them, discriminating, degrading. It's terrible. So here it is. It's David against 400. 400 guys are saying, go get him, David, kill him. And David's all alone. But you know what David did? He persuaded his men with these words. And he did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So he said, what he said, he said, no, listen, the Lord has put him here and I'm going to wait for the Lord to take him out. It's not my job. And the men said, all right, okay. And then Saul arose, he left the cave and went on his way. He escaped. Okay. So as we look at this scene, there are three things that David knew. Number one, Saul was in the wrong, but it was God's job to fix him. It wasn't David's job. Like we said, God made him king. God will take him out. It's not David's job. I hope you can find a personal application in that and respect the authority that's over you, even when they're wrong, because there's a blessing in it. Secondly, David would have to stand alone in his conviction. He was the only one that felt that way. He had 400 men. They all disagreed. They're like, no, man, kill him. And David, you know, sometimes you're outnumbered in your godly convictions. And then thirdly, David had confidence, but you know where it was? It was in God. It was in God. Because David rested in God, he didn't have to take matters into his own hands. The battle is the Lord's. How many times do we read that in the scriptures? The battle is the Lord's. I will repay, says the Lord. And there are times, man, we just got to step back. Step back and let God be God. Okay? God knows what he's going to do. And sometimes we just get in the way. We muddy up the water. And the main thing, we're not learning what we need to learn. So you see, David applied scripture to his own life. And what was the scripture? Perhaps it was Deuteronomy 32 
Verse 36. For the Lord will vindicate, which means defend, his people. See, when you study the Word of God, it's not just so you can say, okay, I read the Bible. No, it's to abide in it. We get our marching orders from the Scriptures. They teach us how to act, how to live. And as David grew up as a young Jewish boy, he read the Scriptures, and he said, oh, here's one, Deuteronomy 32. The Lord will defend his people. Okay, then I'll let God do that. Why would I interfere with God when he can do something even better than I can? Now, David knows Saul is after him, but he shows Saul that he wasn't a threat to him. In verse 8, afterwards, David arose. He went out of the cave and he called after Saul. Now, remember, Saul left. He's probably on the other side of the hill. And he said, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Right? Why? Because he's honoring the king. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men? saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. He said, No, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. And David probably held up the corner of his robe and said, Look at, see? I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because I mean you no harm. You're the Lord's anointed. And God hasn't removed you. And I'm not going to play God. See what's so great? He's learning. David is being prepared for his promotion. In his case, it's to be king. In your case, I don't know. But it's probably something good if you're willing to learn the lesson. So, let's make application for our own lives, okay? Because it's good to have these Bible stories and say, okay, what does it mean to me? That's the whole purpose, right? How does it affect my life? Okay, number one, since man is depraved, expect to be mistreated, okay? You will be done wrong. Expect it. Why? Because we're all depraved. Our minds are faulty, and we do things and say things that are not right, sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional. We're just crazy, okay? Expect it to happen. Number two, since mistreatment is inevitable, anticipate that you will have feelings of revenge. Anticipate that, that you're going to have a reaction, and you're going to want to, oh, Get even. Those feelings are going to come. They're going to well up inside of you. Oh, yeah. So get ready. Get ready for that. Then thirdly, don't retaliate. The feelings will come, but don't act on your emotions. That's when you get into trouble. Don't act on those feelings. Okay? Fourthly, since the desire for revenge is predictable, Refuse to fight in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but spiritual. It's all about leaning on God. You know, there's a million reasons to get even when you've been done wrong. There's a million reasons. Oh, and your friends will justify it. And they'll say, oh, yes, you go get them. They shouldn't have done that. We got your back. Go get them. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.1? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk worthy. A worthy walk. You know, Christian means of Christ. So we're walking not only of Christ, we're walking as Christ. So walk worthy in a manner of the calling with which you have been called, especially after you have been done wrong. Especially. See, we have to expect these feelings to come up. And know that when they come up, like Daniel, you purpose in your heart. You will not defile your walk with acts of vengeance. Okay? Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food, but we purpose in our heart not to defile ourselves, our walk, our testimony, with carnal vengeance. Okay? So, so much to learn. Oh, I love the stories of David, because they're very helpful. And they teach us how to be Christ-like in this world. Yes, you will be done wrong. You have been done wrong. The issue is, what will I do with it? And we learned some things today, a godly way of handling it when we've been done wrong. And it's always with the intention of bringing glory to God. some more issues coming up (laughs) want another life lesson here it comes next time we're together when anger strikes first I'm done wrong now what happens when anger strikes what are we going to do with that that'll be a good one join me next time right here New Hope Radio the Hope Club podcast join the Hope Club Go to newhoperadio.live, click on the menu bar, read about how to join the Hope Club. We can kind of work together on this, right? You help us, we help you. Because it's all about having a worthy walk, bringing glory to God, so you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Master. Thank you for coming along today. Hope these things are helpful, and we'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.